Welcome to Smart Water Solutions Podcast. I am Hakim El-Fadil. This is episode number 31. Today's guest is Mikhail Gardner. He's the founder and CEO of Akaix. Akaix stands for Aqua Artificial Intelligence Exchange Platform. In this episode, we are going to cover three points. The first one is um, because Mikhail has extensive experience working in IT industry in Silicon Valley, specifically building financial infrastructure um, with eBay and other companies. So he's uh, building something new for the water industry. And we will learn how the water industry can learn from other industries when it comes to using artificial intelligence or machine learning to automate or improve human business decision process improve water plant efficiency and also predict water plant failure. The second point is there is no secret behind creating value out of the data. The data itself is a cost and there is a strategy behind creating value out of the data which Mikhail will discuss with us in this episode. The last point would be about the traditional capital supply chain in water industry, which is insufficient given today's needs and which opens opportunities for new financial vehicles to raise blended capital for water solutions portfolio. In other words, um, the water industry is very fertile when it comes to new startup companies, but those startup companies, they need a different financial structure to raise capital in efficient and fast way and this is exactly what Akaix is 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 playing a very good role here so it's interesting mike when i read your uh, your background so you you've been i mean you study e- economics and with a focus on water economics and policy and then you jump to the the it industry and then you get back to the water industry. That's very interesting. Well, I was, <clears throat> I think in a way I was lucky. Um, I grew up in California and here we were aware of the IT revolution. And for example, even in the 1970s in high school, I would read newspaper articles about um, semiconductors and ships and the venture capital industry because it was kind of the local business, you know, and um, so you, so it would have coverage at a time when I think many, many places weren't really aware of the fact that it was kind of happening so much, you know, so, um, so I had a chance to, to kind of begin to think about the impact of information technology early on um, and was just lucky, I think, in that sense. Yeah. Then, I mean, um, I would wonder what was, let's say, the, the reason that's throw you back to the water industry? Yeah, well, so um, I guess, well, also I should say, Hakim, that um, I, again, I was lucky that uh, um, when I got out of, when I finished my, my undergraduate degree, I always intended to go back and get a PhD in economics. And also 
when I was taking my degree, <clears throat> there was a pretty bad drought in California. And um, that made me very aware of water issues. And the program that I was in gave me a chance to, to take some classes in water economics and water policy. So I had, I had a good background in resource economics and in water. But when I graduated, I had a chance to take a job for two weeks to do some programming. And I had learned to program as well. So I, I took I took this job just to pay some bills that, um, that I thought was going to last two weeks. But then one thing led to another. And then all of a sudden, I'd had this whole career in technology and in Silicon Valley um, managing engineering. For example, I, I ran the search technology group at eBay for a while and, you know, did, did a number of other things. Um, but I, I never forgot water. And as I traveled around the world, I would, I would study the local water issues basically. So for example, when I was in India, um, it, when I would travel to India to work on software engineering there, I would read the local papers and in, the English versions of local papers. <clears throat> and I would read about the I would read about the water issues in India and, and the same thing if I was in Europe or the same thing if I was anywhere um, because water is such an important thing that it, it turns out if you go anywhere, if you hunt for it, you're going to find, you know, you'll find articles and news and information about local water issues. And so I, I kind of followed water. And as I began towards the end of my career, I began to think, well, Mike, you know, what are you going to do? And, and I, I also thought about how the world is changing with climate change and that we have these many water issues. And, and I, I came to the conclusion that it's time to do something about it. And that presents both a need and an opportunity for startups. Um, at the time, I was working for a very large global bank, BNY Mellon, and I was running essentially a fintech research center for them in the heart of Silicon Valley we were researching um, fintech technology such as blockchain, AI, machine learning, um, APIs, and data integration technologies, and other other types of, of technology that we think of together as fintech technology, financial technology. Um, for and <clears throat> um, that led me to that got me thinking about well, I wonder what could be done to help improve liquidity flows of capital into water infrastructure, because I knew enough about water to know that when you think about the different water issues anywhere, you can, you realize that it takes more capital and more funding to help address them, whatever the issues are, whether that's groundwater pollution, whether that's surface water pollution, whether that's the need to treat, you know, for more potable drinking water. I mean, there's still between a billion and 2 billion people that don't even have adequate drinking water or sanitation and that is going to take investment and finance to help bring you know bring adequate levels of of service to them <clears throat> so so you know i was aware that that we need more capital and more finance going into infrastructure and in a way the purpose of fintech is to help improve the flow of liquidity or the flow of capital um and so forth and remove frictions on the flow and and in a way that is kind of the point of fintech technologies to make it faster for capital to flow. And so I, so that led me to thinking about, oh, well, you know, there, you know, there can be a startup that is focused on that, on using new IT technology to help with financing. I mean, it's kind of, when, when, when you talk, it's, I mean, some of me really, it's similar what you have been going through. I mean, 
I'm focused on water technology. So my job was water technology, I mean, more than um, eight years. But in parallel, whenever, whenever I was traveling to the customers, I was listening to the podcast of, let's say, blockchain innovation, artificial intelligence. Because um, I've done one master in sensor technology and we have done some programming, how to program the sensor, connect the sensor, do the electronic for the sensor. So I still have that on the back of my mind. So I, I didn't lose the track with, let's say, with what's going on in the, in the IT industry and also electronic. And I was, as you say, exactly, I was always um, thinking that there's so many things that those industry has been advanced that can be leveraged for the water industry. But I still didn't know, I mean, maybe you, you have the answer to that. I still didn't know why, let's say, water industry is behind those industry when it comes to digitalization, when it comes to the finance. I mean, uh, can I give you an example? I have been, I, I visited the, the Open Tech. It's a big event in, in Berlin. And in that event, all small startup companies come in, the big one, Microsoft, all of them small and big. And then you can interact with with um, with investor. With it's it's very 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 open space, and the discussion is very different than the way we do, for example, in Aquatic in Amsterdam for water technology, or any other event for water or wastewater technology. It's, I mean, you can see the difference. It's. Um, so my question is, why is, let's say, water is still behind those industries when it comes to digitalization and also to the, the finance? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure I have the answer, but I have some thoughts on that. I think that, and I've had the chance in my career to see how digital has evolved in a number of different industries. <clears throat> so I can kind of compare Water, water to those industries. And I think that one, one dimension of it is that water is huge, is such a huge industry in general. I think, you know, generally people don't realize how huge it is. And it makes sense because water is such a necessary and intrinsic part of our lives. Therefore, the industry to help provide it is going to be enormous, but people take it for granted, I think. And, but because it's so big, I think that there are many different sectors of it. And I think the, the sectors that are better funded have are farther along with digital, like, you know, the, the commercial utilities, or if you look at what Veolia and Suez have been doing, or if you look at what, you know, I mean, it, they, they obviously have groups that understand digital fairly well and have, have gotten, you know, have implemented digital approaches in various areas. But when you start getting into the, the less well-funded areas of, of water, then they don't have the budget to um, to begin to explore digital. They also don't necessarily have the knowledge because there's already a chronic lack of of skills in water, and that's in the U.S. in particular. That's going to get worse because of people beginning to retire that know how to operate the to, you know today's equipment and so forth. Um, so there, before you even began to get into IT, there was already just a shortage of kind of water technology skills and engineering skills. And now, now then you overlay the need to have digital knowledge and all of a sudden there's even more requirements. So that's, that's a daunting problem is how do you make sure that the skills for IT adoption and digital adoption are available within you know, an organization 
along with budget. Um, but also part of the skills, <clears throat> I think, is having a good vision for what are we going to do with digital. And, you know, in, <clears throat> in my experience, it's very easy to use, it's very easy to spend money on, on data and digital, but not actually get any return on the investment. And I think that organizations have to be careful to understand what are we going to spend on digital and, and but also to understand what are we expecting to get from that so that they have a clear vision of the ROI and are not going to just be wasting the money. I mean, data, data in itself is basically a cost because you have to run the servers, you have to do things with it. And so unless you're really focused on an outcome that's going to deliver value, you know, then you're basically just wasting the money. But I think a lot of organizations haven't had the chance to see examples of how digital can pay off and how you can get, um, how you can get value out of data. Um, so they need examples and inspiring visions. Um, and then they need to have a roadmap where they can say, look, here's, here's what we're going to do for us to be able to get that ROI. We're first going to do this. We're first going to do that. And you have to take one step at a time and have kind of like a methodical investment. And usually that begins with preparing the data because in many, many, many cases, the data that an organization has, whether that's coming from a device like an IoT device or whether that's actually just from their operations records um, but that may be on paper or maybe on spreadsheets, that data is not necessarily in the form that you need it to be in for getting ROI, return on investment out of digital. So, um, so usually the first step is actually getting the data into some shape where you can actually use it, um, you know, and, and, and then it goes from there and kind of a roadmap. Yeah, and then, I mean, it's interesting, okay, to get a data in shape where you can use it and then um, to monetize that data, does the people who need to be involved in that aspect, do they need to have some special skills? Because, I mean, my experience when I've been working with, I mean, people who develop, as you said, uh, for Viola or Suez or whatever, they develop those kind of digital platform, they get the data, but... The question is, okay, after that, what you will do with this data? And then most of them, they have background, they see in water and then MBA and something like that. So it is to monetize this kind of data that does need to have special skills or? I think that, um, well, first off, let, let's, I, I, th I, I think that monetization can take two forms. One is actually, you know, making money off the data or getting revenue from the data. The other though is, is having savings from the data and being able to reduce costs or improve efficiency through the data basically, right? And so those are all forms of getting value from it um, and so forth. I think that it does take skills, but I don't, I, I think more than, um, more than anything, it takes being able to combine skills across teams. I mean, it's it's it, it's said that innovation happens at the boundaries of organizations. In other words, innovation oftentimes happens because you have people that have differing skills and you put them together and they're able to combine their knowledge and come up with a value. So I think I think in the cases we're talking about, what you need to do is combine the IT skills and knowledge of here's what we do with data, here's how we can efficiently transform this data or manage this data, but 
you have to combine that with the knowledge of water because many times the IT people that may know how to deal with the data, they don't have any idea what the what the use cases are in water, what you know, what the uses are of that data and what the the value might be. So for example, there may be very important analytics and metrics and reports that can be created that will give great value in terms of understanding how to reduce dose. If it's if it's a case of water treatment, maybe there's opportunities to reduce chemical costs, um, you know, by understanding better what you know what it looks like and by by doing a careful kind of data analysis, um, or maybe it's you know maybe it's an it's an opportunity to reduce non-revenue water, or maybe it's an opportunity to, um, to, you know, to improve in, in some other way, but it, but, but the, the knowledge of that, of the analytics or what the goal is, is going to come from somebody who understands water. Meanwhile, the knowledge of how to get there in terms of what data do we need and what do we have to do to the data to be able to deliver that result, that's going to come from an IT specialist, right? So it does indeed take specialized skills, but they're oftentimes needing to be combined across these two different knowledge domains. And that's, that's one of the things that I think that we see is, is kind of slow to happen. And I think, again, it goes back to the fact that many of the organizations don't have the deep IT skill sets and the team strength, you know, the, 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 the bench strength, as we would say in the U.S., um, of the team. They may, have, they may have one or two people that know IT some, but they may not but they may really need more than, than they have, you know, where they may already have the water expertise. So I think it's kind of like a, a cross-disciplinary kind of effort to, to really get there. Yeah. And also, I think maybe, um, I believe that people who have this kind of skills like your skills, which is combine the IT with the finance, they're highly demanded. So it's, that's easy to get those people out of it. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, talking about the data, there is two things. I mean, Mike, if you um, maybe I'm also using them wrongly, I would like to understand from you, from the experts. So when we talk about artificial intelligence and blockchain, so what's the clear cut definition of those two terms and what they mean if they would be used in the water industry? Um, yeah, that well, that's a good question. And I think that especially with AI, there are many, 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 many different definitions of that, and 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 so forth. So, I I think I think of of artificial intelligence, AI, and machine learning. Um, they are related discipline. They are related things, and some some people use those two terms interchangeably: machine learning and AI. Other people have very distinct definitions of what each one means, but. At the end of the day, I think of them as a spectrum of technologies that can offer the ability to automate business processes and um, automate decision processes and improve decision making um, to the point of automation. But oftentimes there's a first stage where the result of the AI or the machine learning is, is helping humans make decisions. So it's, it's improving human-made decision, uh, decisions and then over time, it's actually leading to machine-based decisions. The machine decisions usually start happening on very, very simple cases that are very simple from a human perspective, but they're easier to automate um, and safer to automate. And then 
over time, you progressively begin to automate more complex kinds of cases or more consequential cases. So if you look at, for example, autonomous driving, you know, we're behind people. There, there was a, an assumption that we would already have, you know, ubiquitous autonomous driving. And clearly we've made some, some progress towards that, but it's not really yet <clears throat> completely ready for deployment within, within our civilization and within society. But of course, that's a very consequential and very complex process. Whereas if you, there are other parts of business process automation that are much simpler and they may be consequential, but it's not like somebody's going to die, you know, there may be, but, but also it's, it's relatively easy to double check them and so forth and make sure that the decisions were made appropriately. So, so it, AI and machine learning are kind of a spectrum of intel, a spectrum of different technologies, and there are many, many, many different types of technologies that can come into play. Um, all of them are take some amount of data. Um, some of them may take as little as a thousand or ten thousand data points to be able to train the model. Some of them may take more like a million data points to train the model, and so. When you approach a problem, it's important to understand the spectrum of the technology and then be able to think about which of the different technology, you know, technology offerings that we have is going to be the most appropriate for this. And then also what data would we need given that technology and is that data available or not? Because in many cases, the data is not actually ready to be used by the AI model or by the machine learning model. Um, so it's it's I don't know if that's a helpful definition or not, but it's very, it, you know, it, it's, it's pretty complex area. There's a lot of, there's, there's really a very, a full spectrum of technologies. Like it, just to give you one example, when people talk about IBM's deep blue technology that, you know, uh, won the chess match famously, but deep blue is actually a number of different technologies that are essentially chained together. And so it's not any one AI, it's actually many, many, many different types of modeling technologies that are employed together in a very coordinated way to be able to make decisions. And so, so in a way that coordination is, is perhaps the most remarkable achievement of what IBM did because it, it was able to combine these different tech. Um, blockchain in a way is, is just a, a new database technology, a new way to store it. Um, and, you know, when I say that, if any, any of the listeners are familiar with a database a distributed database technology called Cassandra, it might be interesting to go, you know, take a look at, at, at what Cassandra offers as a distributed, eventually consistent database, and then compare that to what you know of a blockchain-based system. And you'll see that there are definitely similarities, but there are also definitely differences. Um, I think the advantage to me that I can see in blockchain systems is that they give you built-in functionality for controlling the privacy of the data that's being stored, but also can still give you transparency and help create transparency within a given system. So they're an interesting, it's an interesting technology mix to be able to um, figure out the right mix of privacy and, tr and transparency in, in the system. Also the ability to write data in a fashion that is um, as they say, immutable or very hard to change um, is, is useful, of course, for certain types of ledgering and so forth. Um, it's not like you could not create immutable records with other database technologies. There are other ways to do that, but in blockchain, it's just kind of 
easier and built into the system. Um, you know, so it's just kind of easier to access and it's, it's better integrated as a capability with some of the other capabilities. Um, so that's how I think of blockchain. I hope that's useful for your listeners in terms of how they think about it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, now it's more clear, at least to me, which is, I mean, I was confused about it. And also the way how I understand it from you, there has been so much advance and so much, let's say, failure learning from those, I mean, spectrum of technology applied in, in artificial intelligence and blockchain, that those learning can also be leveraged to the water industry. Like let's say autonomous wastewater plant treatments, for instance, or yeah, I'm just speculating here because I know that some companies try to do this, put kind of machine learning, as you said, on the wastewater and try to understand which parameter can be optimized and how to reduce the cost of cleaning, reduce the cost of shutdown, etc. So there is some good learning that can be also, um, let's say, um, uh, transferred or copied from other industry and uh, implemented in the water industry. Definitely. And I think that we're, we've only begun, I think, now in water to really begin to explore the different things that can be done, basically. I mean, another example is failure prediction on equipment. So, you know, hardware is always going to fail. And being able to understand when is the time to go do a maintenance procedure or a replacement procedure on a particular piece of equipment can be an important decision within an operations in terms of like, well, we have to shut the, down this part of our treatment train and we can only do that, you know, here on the calendar or something like that. So another example is failure prediction. But I, th I think that over the coming years, a few years, basically, we're going to be really starting to understand a lot better how these different technologies can be applied to things. Right. I mean, absolutely. And then exactly what you said, I remember when I was working in the past, it's I think uh, 2016, maybe I, I shared this with, with my leader, which is um, whenever we travel to the customer, for instance, if you would like to do troubleshooting, we, there is a guidelines that's, okay, there is some indication that the membranes, for instance, communicate with us of if you have this lower flux, if you have this kind of pressure, if you have this kind of quality in water, this is what you need to do. You need to shut down system clean. If you contact it with the, with these chemicals, you need to shut down the system, remove the memory, put them. So the process, how to troubleshoot the system, it's not invented most of the time. It's not, I would say, let's say to be very conservative, more than 60%, the troubleshooting of the water desalination plant can be automated. You don't need someone to travel there. It just, uh, it's, it's, an, it's kind of algorithm. If you have these things, you need to do these things. And yeah. even though it's now is not done by, I would say, automatically. Yeah. And this leads me to the question, which is, I think this is also one of your core competency, which, which is the finance models. And um, um, so looking back to your career, you have been with retail, fashion, fashion and a couple of industry when it comes to the finance. Um, so regarding the digital finance, so you have, shared i mean that's the water is a little bit behind this those industry so what digital infrastructure um i mean digital finance infrastructure and that that you think um can be leveraged from other industry and be used or adopted in the water industry yeah <clears throat> well again i i would compare to um <clears throat> i would compare to examples to kind of 
understand where water is compared to, you know, something else. And I guess if to take the most extreme example of a difference, if we look at what happens with publicly straight traded stocks and bonds um, and the financing, uh, you know, using those as a finance vehicle to raise capital. So a company issues a bond or perhaps, you know, a government entity will issue a bond, but let's, let's look at a corporate bond or something like that, or they issue stock and either one of those is a way to raise money for the company. And they can use that either to expand their, op, their, their capital uh, footprint and their operations footprint, or they can use it for some other purpose. Um, the, you know, if, if you look at the data infrastructure for publicly traded instruments like that, it's really amazingly rich, basically. So there are, you know, there are, there are separate companies that, that have the ability to credit. So Standard & Poor's, for example, and other companies, they have the ability to provide a credit rating on a company. So anybody that wants to make, you know, to, to invest in a stock can go check out, well, how solvent is this company? Um, there are, you know, there's a whole rich market of models that allow you to, you know, estimate the for, you know, the the price earnings of a stock, you know, relative to a peer group. So you could say, well, this this looks attractive relative to this other group, you know, in terms of their forecasted price earnings, um, or their, you know, whatever metric you want to use. But but there's a rich, a rich, rich, rich kind of like infrastructure and ecosystem of data that can be used for those purposes, basically. Um, now, many dimensions of water finance are not exactly like stocks and bonds because their water, water infrastructure is a different asset class. It's, a, it's an alternative asset class, you know, and you could compare it maybe to like collecting fine art or something like that, where if someone, you know, so they're, they're, they're investors that specialize in different categories of alternative investments, fine art or, you know, infrastructure investment, basically, as you, as you go through those different categories, you can see that the, the infrastructure of information for that particular category of investment is not as well developed as it is for stocks and bonds, basically. And if we look at water, there are many, you know, specifically, you know, there are many, many, many examples of those principles that I'm that I'm that I'm outlining, you know, at play in water, and many examples of how there's an opportunity to bring more data and more information to the finance processes in water and to, to digitize them. Um, in some ways, there are there in some dimensions of water finance, there aren't issues. In other words, like the capital supply chains today for water infrastructure and for water, they work. The way that they were designed to work and and so forth basically so in that sense there isn't a problem you know so if if say veolia or suez wants to raise more money they they can go do it you know or if in the united states if a municipality that is has experience at issuing a, a bond maybe for a 200 maybe a two let's just imagine a 200 million dollar bond the city issues it and then now they have you know the capital that they can you know use to invest in the water system so in that sense those capital supply chains work but there are still a lots of problems number one the volume of capital that flows through those supply chains is vastly insufficient relative to the need in water today i mean the estimates of how big the gap is range from 
300 billion a year up to a, to almost a trillion dollars a year in terms of what we should be spending on water infrastructure to be able to deal with with you know catching up in the fact that there are many people that are underserved and don't even have as i was saying you know safe drinking water and, and sanitation but but also if you factor in like aging infrastructure the need to fix leaks and in distribution and delivery um um, if you factor in additional population growth in some areas, if you factor in climate change and changes in precipitation patterns and the fact that we've overdrafted water in, in various areas, I mean, when you factor all this in, it's, it's a huge gap. And so in a way, the traditional, in, in the way that I think about it is that the traditional capital supply chains in water are, they work okay for what they were intended to do, but they're insufficient given today's needs. And therefore the, the opportunity is to be able to use data from different sources um, and to be able to uh, use that to help create new capital supply chains of different types. And in those capital supply chains, there are two, there's two areas to look at. I think one is the sources of capital in the capital supply chain and whether there can be new sources of capital that come in. And so it's it's not just going to the traditional sources of water capital, but being able to activate and utilize additional sources of capital. The second thing to look at is the financial instruments that are available and whether data can be used to enable um, new financial instruments that did not exist before. And some of those instruments can therefore activate the cat, the new sources of capital. So they, there's a codependent relationship between the, the new instruments and the new capital sources, basically. Um, so that's, that's how, that's how I think about the, you know, the need and the opportunity in water um, and also how water is, you know, can be compared to other industries and other forms of finance in terms of where it is at and where it could go. Right, so how archaics, which is, did I pronounce this correctly? Which is artificial, yes, uh, aqua, nice. artificial very intelligence nicely. exchange. Yeah. I mean, I like the name. It's very, I mean, when I read it, it's taken the mind, which is combination aqua, artificial intelligence exchange. So how your platform uh, will, let's say, um, um, help or solve those kind of gaps and also, um, yeah, um, play a role in the, those opportunities? Well, going back to what I was just saying, you know, looking at both kind of the financial, the new financial instruments that can be employed or utilized with data um, and the new sources of capital. I mean, so what, so the, I think, you know, the short answer is our platform can help with both of those, but let me get into some details and some examples of that. Um, on the, and I'll start first with the sources of capital. And there's two things that I will, I will, you know, I will touch on regarding like where capital can come from in terms of financing water infrastructure. The first is that there is an increasing movement in financial circles towards what is called impact investing and impact capital. And essentially this means that the, the investor not only wants to know, you know, they not only want to make a financial return, whatever it is, you know, at least the market, they want to at least get a market interest rate, if not better. But now with impact investing, they actually also want to understand what 
kind of impact is the capital having? What else am I get? Am I doing with my money? Am I am I doing good things? Am I creating good? How can we measure that? And there are basically three dimensions of measuring impact. One of them is um, environmental. One is social. Uh, well, th those are the two primary ones, basically, and so forth. And so, an investor may they may want to be able to get some percentage return. Maybe they want like a seven percent annualized return on their capital, but they also want to know how many jobs did we create with this or how many jobs did we create this year through investing this capital or what did we do to reduce water pollution or what did we do to improve the availability of safe drinking water to people that did not have adequate, you know, that did not have safe drinking water before um, or have we, how have we improved access, you know, sanitation in terms of reducing, um, you know, reducing the metrics related to sanitation rates and so forth. Um, so impact, impact investing is a really important dimension of what can be done because there are, there are more and more investors around the world that are starting to become you know, interested in making sure that their money is going to good purpose, basically, in addition to, to just making a return. And that is important from a data perspective because being able to measure the impact and, and not only estimate the impact at the beginning, but also monitor the impact so that over the course of maybe five years or 10 years, the investor can know definitively, this is exactly what we did, you know, with our, with our investment. This is exactly the, you know, the improvements that we can see that our capital has made. That all takes data and it takes data infrastructure to do that, to be able to collect the data and present it in the way that in the metrics and in the analytics that the investor wants to see. Um, so, so that's part one of kind of like thinking about sources of capital. The second part of thinking about sources of capital is thinking about what is called blended finance, because it, um, in many of the situations in water today, there actually has to be collaboration across different types of capital. And that collaboration historically has been very difficult to create. So for example, um, if you look at, say, a sanitation project in a, an emerging nation, there may be a, a, an emerging economy. Um, there may be a need to be able to have a first batch of capital that goes in to help do to, to that will enable the detailed planning of that project. Um, that capital may come not from a classical, a kind of classic commercial investor, but it may come from a development bank or it may come from an NGO or some type of, of um, nonprofit institution that is willing to make a concessionary loan or make a grant or something like that. Um, and so, you know, over the course of the project cycle, there are different types of capital that come in from different sources of capital and creating. And so this essentially takes a kind of cooperation and collaboration across capital types, but historically that's been very hard to accomplish. Um, what needs to happen in our opinion and what we have been working on at Akayex is helping create the capabilities to have all the data that allows the collaboration and the trust and the cooperation, but also to be able to do that across a portfolio of projects, not just on one project, so that you can look at, say, a regional master plan for water that is that is basically looking at the whole basin or the whole watershed and saying, here's all the different gray and green projects that we need to help restore water balance and equilibrium. We need some storage here. We need some aquifer recharge here. We need some conservation investments here. 
we need some treatment here and here and here, you know, basically to, to help either reuse water or to further treat or to treat water to make it available. But, but you can coordinate the capital a lot better because you can say, look across this whole portfolio, the whole portfolio, let's just say the portfolio requires a billion dollars. Say, maybe you can see that, Oh, look across this portfolio, there's actually like five different projects that require about 50 million for the first phase. And all of that would be good for this one type of institution. Maybe it's a philanthropy or something like that. So it allows you to strategize the capital in a much better way, but also the data then can be used to help plan the capital deployments, but also to help structure the contracts among all the different parties. So the, oftentimes there are lots of covenants and preconditions and, and so forth that have to be respected and that get written into the contracts. And so having the data to enable this, uh, having the data available helps facilitate structuring the contracts among all the different participants in a blended finance type of situation. So that's that that was kind of long-winded, but those are two examples of, of what can happen with data and information on capital supply. If we quickly turn to instruments, um, I'm just going to name a number of different ones. I won't go into so many so much detail probably, but um, you know, green bonds are, for example, a new financial instrument, and they're just a bond, but they happen to be data driven because if you want to qualify for a green bond, you have to assemble certain information and prove and you use that information to, to be able to qualify and get certified as the fact that you can actually have a green bond and call it a green bond. Um, and then there's also an annual monitoring component where you have to have data to be able to show that you have used the proceeds of the green bond in the way that it was intended. And you haven't gone off and done something else basically. So green bonds are, a, they're a data driven bond. And again, data is important then in being able to, to enable that finance mechanism and to make it um, affordable and efficient to be able to have all the data that you need to be able to issue a green bond. Um, there's another type of instrument that is fairly common in water called P3s. So, you know, I would say this is not necessarily a new public-private partnership. Um, this is not necessarily a new, um, uh, you know, a new instrument. However, one thing that is happening in the context of P3s is, um, is conditional finance where the private party is expected to meet certain uh, performance levels and the conditions of the financing actually change if they are not able to. And again, this becomes a data-driven kind of instrument because there has to be monitoring of the operations that the that the party achieved and then a, a comparison of was that what we had you know, written into the contract or not basically. So data can help enable performance-based contracts in the context in the context of P3s. Another evolving finance instrument is nature-based solutions that are creating credits such as carbon credits. And soon we will be looking at water quality credits. And, and in the United States, there are already a fair amount of trading of water, water volume credits. So the data center operators in the United States are looking to offset their their water impacts and offset the oper their operations by being able to buy water quantity credits basically from different sources. So these are starting to become important means of being able to finance uh, water projects um, um, and so forth. So these, those are just some examples, but, but those are the instruments that are kind of new that are data enabled. And 
because they are helping document the impact of, you know, of it, in many cases, those instruments lead right on into being able to go get to new sources of capital because you have the impact metrics available to be able to say, well, look, if you make this investment, not only will you, do we anticipate you getting a, you know, a, this return on the capital, but, uh, you know, financial return, but we also can document the fact that you're going to be having this environmental impact or social impact. So when you mention the data just for the to the audience to for you mean by the environmental impacts social impacts and then return on investments yes that's okay. right yeah that's yeah. right and so looking to akayax uh, what is the unique about your portfolio and how valuable in the water market so we have three products and at when 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 people first hear about them they're like well those sound really different you know they what you know they but but they actually work together so our first product is a a, a set of data enablement um tools that make it easier to integrate data and you can use that in non-financial so we actually have customers that are using that in, for cases that have nothing to do with finance they just want they just need a way to digitize essentially they're doing a lightweight uh what in the us is being called a dms a data management system for utility operations but it's intended it's a very cost effective solution for small utilities that maybe can't spend you know they maybe they may not have a million dollars to spend but they can spend like fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars which you know, I'm, I'm talking US numbers. I mean, I, I know in many parts of the world, you know, the, those are very large numbers for cer certain types of utilities in some areas. But but the point is that our, our, our data integration technology is very affordably priced and very efficient. And it's a good solution for smaller utilities that need to digitize and begin to get a handle on their data and begin to prepare and shape their data and process their data in certain ways as a preparation towards getting ROI. Um, so that that product is, is is a distinct product, but it also operate. And so that's all focused just on data and data integration and being able to manage data. But that works then very seamlessly with our finance product, which takes data from whatever source it is. But that source can be our data product doesn't have to be. But but our finance product takes that data and then it it uses that data to both help automate the financial processes of investment and to be able to document the, you know, the, document the, the financing in the ways that I was talking about in terms of estimating and monitoring the impact investment and in terms of being able to employ some of these new instruments and, um, and, and so forth that require data. So, so those two products are very complementary and work together. Um, the finance product, you know, a way the way to think about it is that if if say like I as an individual is going to go buy a publicly traded stock, well, I go through a whole kind of life cycle of that decision. I I kind of think, well, what stock would I want to buy? And I go through a spectrum of possibilities and I narrow it down and then I get it down to maybe three or five, and then I research those in a little bit more detail, and then I make a decision, and then I finally go make a trade, and then I want to monitor that after the fact. Well, if you invest in water infrastructure, if it's a private equity firm or even a government agency or even a, an NGO or a nonprofit that is making a grant or making a, a commercial investment or a loan, 
they all go through essentially that exact same process. They have to look at a spectrum of opportunities to invest in. They have to very efficiently screen them down. Then they have to, to you know, decide once they've made the decision, this is the one we want to invest in. They actually have to go through the transaction. And in the case of water infrastructure, the transaction phase can be, and the due diligence phase, both of them can be very, very communications intensive. Lots of email, lots of spreadsheets and so forth. And that the, historically, those types of financial operations have been really perfect to digitize and automate because you can streamline it. You can, you can make it much easier for people to get access to information. They don't have to go open an email. You know, somebody doesn't have to go email a bunch of spreadsheets around. You, it's all in the cloud, uh, you know, and so if you just go there and there it is, and it's all very secure, it's password protected, it's all stored in a very, very secure way, um, you know, and so forth. So, so our finance product, you know, the way to think about it is it, it helps, it automates those processes of investment decisions for water investors. And it also makes that, that type of investing available to impact investors that, perhaps have not invested in water as an asset class before, but they want to because they know that it could be attractive from a financial return perspective, or it can be attractive from the perspective of creating impact and so forth, but they don't know how to do water. So in a certain way, our software helps those organizations be, you know, become water investors much more quickly than they otherwise would have been because we can provide them with the structured tools that let them be able to make these decisions and and so forth and do it you know more quickly and safe and, and safely and so forth. Um, our third product is not yet in production, um, but we have been working on it and it is tr trading software to be able to trade water credits basically. So it's it's market software for being able to trade water rights and water credits and so forth, um, which is an important dimension of how you manage water within a basin. I mean, in California, many of the groundwater agencies that were recently created through legislation, they are moving towards having groundwater trading markets within their operating basins. And so each aquifer has a, a regulatory authority that is now implementing a market to be able to buy and sell the groundwater, um, you know, uh, that they're responsible for in that particular aquifer. Um, so that's our third product. It's kind of this this market uh, this market software for actively uh, uh, trading, uh, you know, kind of water commodities, if you will, if you want to think of them in the, as that that way. Right. Some case study that you would like to share with us. Uh, I mean, that customer has already adopted. Um, those two products and what a bit feedback and what the value that's that you, that they leverage from using your um, products. Yeah, the what the case study that that I like to look at is one that it's actually on our website. If anyone wants to go look at it, if they go to akaix.com, aqaix.com. Um, but in California, in the central coast of California, there's a national uh, marine sanctuary uh, called the Monterey Bay. It happens to be a very beautiful, uh, a very beautiful area, basically. But it's facing um, increasing water pollution from agricultural runoff, and there are increasing uh, amounts of toxic algae bloom, for example, that are imperiling the, the wildlife there, and um, and also the tourist trade and the economy from the tourist trade and so forth across the region. Um, we are working with a nonprofit. Um, a, it's actually a consortium of nonprofits, and they spent two years 
developing a stormwater master plan. And they went through a lot of analysis and came up with um, came up with a portfolio of projects that they felt were the ones that had the best prospect of being able to reduce the nitrogen uh, and phosphorus runoff from agriculture and therefore reduce the pollution. Um, but they needed to get it. They needed then to fund those projects. They're primarily all nature-based solutions, by the way, but to fund that, they needed to raise about $60 million. Um, and they have now put that whole portfolio of the 16 projects into a kayaks, and they are using that as a basis to drive their fundraising campaign. And they are, they're kind of a classic case because when they think about their fundraising, they actually need blended finance. They, they've identified some state of California sources for that they think can cover probably about 30 million of the 60 million, but they will have to find matching capital from different sources, including commercial loans and other grants and other government sources of capital um, to do that. And what they can do is, is, is they, they're using our software as the basis of a mar essentially a fundraising campaign or almost like a marketing campaign to the investors to be able to to fund that portfolio project but they had their within that consortium of the nonprofits there are a number of water scientists basically and other and other environmental scientists and so they had developed a very uh, a very interesting and very robust um, multi-benefit model for the whole portfolio so for every project they estimated not only what the nitrogen reduction would be from that project and not only the phosphorus, but also other dimensions of water quality, such as turbidity, sedimentation, but, and so forth. But also uh, they estimated water quantity benefits in terms of would that project do anything in terms of improving the, the, water, the usable water quantity, for example, by improving a watershed, reforesting it or something like that. Um, they also estimated some of the social benefits of that in terms of job creation and so forth. And so they have, they now have across the whole portfolio, this multi-benefit model that is exactly what the impact investors want to see because now they can now, you know, and with our software, it's all available all, all in one place so that they can go kind of, you know, do this fundraising campaign to different types of capital sources, depending on which project is at which phase, um, but they can document all the multi-benefits and the investors when they're considering the project based on the model that uh, our client developed, they can see all the different benefits, not only the expected financial return, uh, you know, um, but also they can see all the different expected benefits from it. So, so it's, a, it's a great case study, basically. I think in terms of a kayaks, not only does it show the ability of our software to employ this data, but, they, but it's important to note that our clients developed the model. So a kayaks, our platform has the ability to use models that have been developed by virtually anybody and we can very quickly bring those models into, into action within our software and then populate them with data and so forth. And that's exactly what we've done with, um, with our client. Now they're still in the process of doing that fundraising. So they, I can't, I can't, you know, it's not wrapped up. So it's not yet a done deal or success case in terms of they used us to actually raise the money, but they are using us to begin to raise the money and to run that campaign. Um, you know, so, so I, but I think it's a great, example of the kinds of things that people in water can be thinking about in terms of new ways to be able to raise funding for projects. Yeah, that's definitely, I think it's raising funding, it's oxygen for for startup company and also for a big water company. And then there is one one type of data, I'm not sure if, if it would make sense also to use it in 
I mean, in your platform or in finance in general. So I, I'm, I'm going to give an analogy. If, if we take, for example, smartphone or camera, so whatever you have said it in the world, if, if, if it's a good product, the customer will judge you, will give feedback five stars or 4.5 stars, and it will be sold everywhere, mostly in the world. When it comes to water technology, some, not all of them, but some water technology may make sense in one particular area, but it's not, it, in other places, it will not make economic sense or it will not make any other technical sense, for instance. So at, at the end of the day, you need to have data from that technology, how it performs in the real situation. And then you can judge it if it, this technology would make sense for your water problem. So this kind of data that is related to the performance or to that, that water technology, um, can they play a role in this finance model or they are not needed? Oh, sure they can. So if, I mean, let's say that, um, let's take an example of a poorly matched technology. So let's say that there was a, I'm just making this up. This is a, so apologies for what I'm going to do to anyone, you know, who, uh, you know, out there that, that kind of goes, well, that's, that's BS, Mike, you know, but, but let's just imagine that somebody was proposing to build a water plant that had the wrong type of membrane technology either for the pressurization or for the actual membrane materials, basically. Um, but, the, but the process that they were proposing was, was actually not going to be right for that type of water that was going to be treated, basically. Let's just imagine that. Um, let's say that there was a proposal to then fund a $10 million you know, treatment, uh, treatment node within a treatment train or perhaps a whole plant to do that. And that goes to an investor. I mean, so the having the data that shows like, well, look, here's what the performance is of that membrane, the technology relative to that type of water would al instantly allow the investor to know like, oh, this is a terrible investment because they've planned the wrong technology to treat this water basically and so forth. Now, a, an experienced water investor would probably already have on their staff somebody that could analyze that during due diligence would go, well, we can't invest in this because it's a terrible proposal. Um, but if you go back to the example I was giving of impact investors that want to get into water, they may not have that capability. And so if, you know, so by being able to have examples, have that data that allows you to kind of be able to begin to mix and match and, and kind of say this, here's what is appropriate for this application, whether, you know, the type of water that we want to treat, the type of treatment we need to do, here are the technologies that are appropriate for that, here are the technologies that are out of the range in terms of their performance characteristics and their cost characteristics, um, you know, that would be an example, I think, of how data can be used to help um, identify the most appropriate technology from an investment perspective and help, help focus the investments on the technologies that are most valuable. Super, Chris. I mean, Mike, frankly speaking, I mean, I think the first time, maybe the second time that I will listen to your episode more than Another time because so much information really I write them down. I could not follow also a couple of platforms that you mentioned. I will look to them. It's very interesting. My last question to you is um, so what is your takeaway so far from starting up a company in the in the water industry? I mean, most of people they said it's slow markets, but what is your takeaway? I would like to learn from it. Um I I, well, personally, I find water, if personally for me, it's been very satisfying to go back to water after my career in IT and, 
and and go back to that. So it's been personally satisfying, but I find it um it's it's really just an interesting space. But as a first startup, it is very important to do a good job of segmenting out the space into subsectors and identifying the different trends in each sub in each subsector and what customers are active in which ones and what they are willing to pay for and part, you know, because there are many differences in that. So it, it just is, it's very, it's very important. But the thing that continually comes back to me is how local water, I mean, in a way, water is a global issue and the knowledge of water can be global and the knowledge of techniques for here's how we do this in this case, that can all be kind of global. But at the end of the day, water is very local and it's extraordinarily complex, you know, so, so those are kind of my takeaways from, you know, getting back into the water space is just how, how local every given situation is. And also even within just that local situation, how complex it always is, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's never simple. <laughs> it's always learning. So it's never stopped learning. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Always learning. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mike. If you would like to share anything last with the audience, so I would put your name also on the episode link to your uh, LinkedIn. So if would like someone would like to get in touch with you, they can reach you via LinkedIn and your homepage. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, and if they do, please they could just say, "Hey, uh, um, I heard you in Hakim's uh, podcast," and that would be great. Super. Thanks yeah. a lot, Mike, and I wish you a good day. Thank you, Hakim. Take care. Bye bye.